Father God, I thank you that as we open up your word, Father, we know that we're opening up power and truth. Father, these aren't, aren't just philosophies, but God, this is, you know, this is the word become flesh to us in the form of Jesus Christ. This is the truth. This is God eternal that we look at, Lord. And what a privilege is ours. And so just help us to open our hearts to you today. Father, speak as only you can to our, our place of, of need, of our, our need for encouragement, our need to be challenged, our needs to know your grace or forgiveness, whatever it might be, God. We just give ourselves to you, Father, in this, this, this time ahead of us. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Go ahead and put that verse up if you can uh, for us, Ben. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Is there anyone here who has never heard that verse before? That's the first time you ever heard that verse. No, of course not. We know that verse because it is so simple. It is so powerful. It kind of just boils everything down to the, you know, to, to the, 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 the essence of how a person can be saved. Now, can somebody tell me who Christ spoke those words to? Who did he speak it to? Anybody? Some are mouthing it. Who did he, who did he speak John 3.16 to? Nicodemus. Nicodemus, a Pharisee, in the very simplest form of the gospel, he spoke that to one of the most deeply religious type of people in his day and age. Well, we're going to be continuing uh, this morning our look at evangelism, and very specifically Christ's evangelistic encounters that he had with people on this earth and how he interacted with people. This is kind of going along with what we're doing in our evening Bible study. Uh, we're, we're looking at activating God's space on, on the contacts that we have at work and in our community, in our neighborhoods, in our family, and open up those doors of a chance to share Jesus Christ with them. Um, today, we're going to be looking at Nicodemus and an all-too-familiar hurdle that you and I, if you're a Christian, that we often face. And that is, how do you witness to a religious person? How do you witness to the religious? I mean, someone who goes to church, you know, they say they believe in God. As you talk to them, they may even point to a time, you know, prior in their life, maybe as a child, you know, that, yeah, I, you know, I accepted Christ, I asked Christ into my heart. But you, you look at their life, and, and you, you, there's no fruit. We're not being judgmental here, but, you know, you just don't see any fruit. It's kind of like Titus 1.16. You know, it says, they profess to know God, but by their deeds, they deny him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deeds. And then we're reminded of Christ's own words in Matthew 7. He says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform 
many miracles, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. We are going to be bumping into people in our community all the time that fall into these categories that Christ was speaking to here. Now, if you remember, last week we looked at witnessing to the self-righteous. You know, how do you witness and share Christ with a good person? You know, a person who has a lot of good works and they're kind of resting on their good works to to outweigh their bad works and and somehow is going to get them to heaven. Well, today, we're going to look at witnessing to religious people. And folks, we know that Satan is the king of confusion. Satan is the king of half-truths. He doesn't care if a person misses the mark by an inch or if he misses it by a mile. His point is to keep people away from a true saving knowledge and a relationship with God the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ. That, that is his goal. He wants to keep people from Christ. And one of the greatest tools that Satan does this with is through religion. Now let me define the terms for you because I don't want it to be confusing. Religion is man's effort to reach God. Man's effort to somehow please God. Man's effort to somehow be accepted by God. And it comes in in all sorts and different forms and flavors. Christianity, though, it's not about man's effort to reach God. It's about God's effort to reach down to man through his son, Jesus Christ, and give his life as a ransom for many. And, and there's a difference there. One is us focused. The other is, is very much god focus. And Satan is very good at, at, at taking religion, man's effort to reach up to God, and through it he just dilutes, dilutes God's truth. He gives us all sorts of forms of godliness, almost to the point where Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14 Christ again says, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it, for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it, who come to that true saving faith. It's not about a religion. It's about a relationship. And Christ encountered many religious people when he was here on this earth, when he came to mankind. And i got to be honest with you here. Usually those encounters that Christ had with religious people, they didn't go very well. You know, they, they were somewhat combative. You know, even when his own people, the Jewish people, God's chosen people, and he went to them, I mean, it was pretty combative. I mean, they, they turned away from him. You know, uh, they walked away from him. It says that he looked over the city of Jerusalem and he wept, you know, because a sheep without a shepherd, the lostness that he saw there. And so from the very outskirts, if nothing else, take encouragement that Christ faced the same difficulties back then that you and I face today. The walls of religion, they are hard to penetrate. But that doesn't mean God doesn't say that we shouldn't be evangelizing. We shouldn't be sharing Christ with people who are religious. So I want to look this morning, I want to take us, and I want to look at one of the places of victory that Christ had in speaking with a religious person. 
And we're going to be in John chapter 3. Um, I want to look at the first eight verses with us. And if you will stand together with me as I read God's word. It says, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these things, the signs that you do, unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. Let me see that. I got to tell you, I'm not sure that I could find a more religious person in the time of Christ than a Pharisee. I mean, as we talk about running into religious people and, and, and trying to break you know, down you know, their, their, the, the man-made pursuits, I mean, the Pharisees, I mean, you know, they were religious upon religious. They didn't just do this on weekends. It saturated every single area of their life. And they didn't just obey the Old Testament laws, but every single possible application of the law. We've shared before, uh, my wife and I, when we were in Israel, got two of the books called The Table Setting. That's a translation from Hebrew, and it's, it takes all the laws of God, and then it breaks down of what it looks like. And, I mean, to, to the nth degree of everything that you can, you can and can't do in your life. And the Pharisees, they lived it out, and they taught people around them to live it out as well. When we were in Israel, um, when we got to Jerusalem, one of the, uh, I mean, things that we noticed right away is, if, is the Sabbath hotels. That if you are in Israel, if you're in Jerusalem during the Sabbath, on a Saturday, and if you're at one of these hotels, uh, what they do is they have all sorts of things that accommodate the Sabbath. They have elevators that stop on every single floor. Okay, so you don't have to work and push the button to, to where you're going to go. And we, you know, we might chuckle, well, that's kind of, what, what's the big deal? No, this is how they lived it. They have lights that at certain times they know when they're staying there. I'm not sure what time it is, whatever. At 9 o'clock at night, the, the lights automatically go off. And then they automatically come at a certain time in the morning. So you don't have to work to turn a light switch on, you know, to, or, or to turn a light switch off. This is the Pharisees. And this is the life that they lived. And this is a Pharisee here that, that came to Christ and to speak to him. Now, these Pharisees, they, they would wear the yoke of legalism proudly. I mean, we look today, you know, and, and people who are legalistic and, you know, yeah, you know, we, you know, we don't have anything to do with them. But no, they, they, they were sought after because of their piousness, their religious piety. 
But Christ says of them, and, and, and actually in Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, he, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the other. You see, it was all external for the Pharisees. It was all visual. But Christ says inwardly, they were empty. Now, you know, back in the times of Christ, goods were currency. You know, they did have money there, but often people paid for things, you know, in, in, in their goods that they had brought. They'll bring what, you know, from their farm, they'd bring things in to be able to buy things. You know, they would trade, and, and, and it became a currency for them. Well, what Christ is talking about here are the Pharisees, that even when given the smallest amount of seasoning, you know, like dill seasoning or, or cumin seasoning, you didn't go out there and you didn't buy a, a gallon of, 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 of dill seasoning, I mean, you just got a, a little bit of it. But the Pharisees would make, uh, you know, make sure everybody knew that even if they received just a little bit that somebody gave it to them, they would make sure to tithe on it, to give that, 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 that 10%, you know, to the church or, or, or to the Lord. You know, so th- this is how extreme they were. So I want to look at Nicodemus, and I want to look at this Pharisee and, and some of the witness lessons that we can pick up of Christ's interaction with this man. We're going to look at three things specifically. The first lesson I want us to emphasize, um, if you have a friend, if you have a co-worker, if you have a family member who is religious but not saved, the first thing I want to tell you is you really need to trust God. You really need to pray for God to stir in the inner heart of that person. Because religion is a hard armor to pierce. I want you to notice what happened in verse 2. It says at the very beginning, This man, Nicodemus, came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher. Now this is just an observation and kind of reading between the lines. But I think it's safe to say that something was happening on the inside of Nicodemus' life. Something happened to cause him to seek out Jesus in the nighttime. I mean, it wasn't like Jesus was there in a public square. They bumped into each other. And he said, oh, hey, Jesus, you know, by the way, Jesus. No, he went to sought Jesus out at night. You know, certainly... He wasn't getting it from his other Pharisees' friends. There was something going on in his heart. There was an unrest. There was an emptiness. You know, possibly a a questioning his religion. And he came to Jesus with this unrest already. And this is what I want to point out. This is a lesson here. Jesus didn't have to get him to that point. You know, others we saw, as Christ is interacting with them, he kind of has to get them to that point of understanding their place of need. But Nicodemus is there because he, he knows he has some need. He may not know what that need is. He may not know what that answer is. But he is there. He is a tremendously religious man. But he was, you know, spiritually empty in his heart. And, and there's no indication that Christ had spoke to him before, and certainly 
you know, again, as we said earlier, no one has been challenging him in his faith. Something's happening within. But he is observing. He comes to Jesus by night, and it says there, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. He saw what Jesus was doing. And I imagine with seeing what he was doing, Christ always preached and taught, and, and he was seeing something different. What he saw was far different from what he was experiencing in his own religious pursuit. Now, if you remember last week, we said that before a person can accept the good news, that they have to accept the bad news. Okay, before a person can accept the good news of Jesus Christ, they have to accept the bad news, that we are lost, that we are sinners, that we are in need of forgiveness. We have to realize our need. We have to realize our, our emptiness. I mean, Christ said in, in, in the Sermon of the Mount, he said, blessed are the poor in spirits, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. You know, who's going to inherit the kingdom of God? Those poor in spirit, that, those who see that they are morally bankrupt, that they are spiritually bankrupt before God. We have to be to that place before we can expect, accept the good news. And Nicodemus was there, something, you know, we don't know, again, you've got to read between the lines, but something was causing him unrest. What he was doing, all the, the legalism, all of those things were not satisfying within his heart. And religion often blocks that out in a person's life. That's why the first thing we must do, if you have somebody that, that, that you believe that God has placed into your path and that you are trying to develop a relationship with them, that opportunity to have that door open for you to share Christ, the first thing you need to do is you need to pray for them if they are a religious person. Pray for God's deep working in their heart. Pray for that unrest, that, that questioning. I mean, obviously this happened apart from Christ, you know, but, but because he had seen Christ, he pursued after Jesus. So we need to pray. We need to do, ask God to do something that maybe we can't do in that person's heart, you know, cause a longing for it within them. And then along with that, we need to live a life of joy before them. Joy in Christ. Let them see what genuine faith is. That's what Jesus was doing. Obviously, he saw Jesus. He heard his teaching. And, and, and that made a difference. I mean, he's hearing Jesus. He's seeing Jesus. And, and it, it's, it's just not jiving with what he's experiencing. You know, it's not jiving with, with his religion Nicodemus saw this in Christ and came to him because he wanted to know the difference. He knew something was different about him. And folks, this is important. I mean, our lives as Christians shouldn't give off the message, hey, folks, come to Jesus and be miserable with me. I mean, we should be giving off. We should be living that joy. We should be very verbal about it, what God is doing in our life, no matter what our circumstances are. I mean, that, that is something that is infectious, contagious, that God uses that very simple testimony. When people are watching us and we don't even know that, that God is using that to do something different in their heart, to bring that unrest, because they're going through the same thing, similar type of things. And as we demonstrate before them what God has done in our heart, that difference our relationship with God makes, God uses that. He causes a yearning in the heart. And this is what happened to Nicodemus. You know, we need to remember that 
Empty religion doesn't fill the void in a person's life. Sometimes we see a person and we think, well, they, just, they go to church and they, they say the right things and maybe, you know, they, they, by their actions, they're really denying that they're Christians and all that, but, you know, they, they seem to be happy. We need to understand that. I'm sure, you know, his friends, Nic- Nicodemus' friends looked at him, didn't see any problem at all. So this is something that has to start from the inside. And often, you know, this is the work that God does. You know, pray for them. If you have a neighbor, you know, that you want to witness to and that, you know, that you know they're religious, begin to pray for God to do something that you can't do. Cause an uneasiness in their heart. We need to pray. We need to trust that God is at work and just live a genuine faith in front of them to allow God to use that to cause them to come and to pursue. So that's the first lesson. Second lesson, we also need to know the truth. We also need to know the truth. You know, I've been saying that, um, you know, Christ, you know, through this all in his encounters, you know, he, he has a, a very huge advantage over us because he knew the hearts of people. Matter of fact, if you just go at uh, the end of chapter, or the very beginning of chapter 3, just go back just a couple verses into chapter 2. Chapter 2 ends, and it says in verse 24, but Jesus on his part was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men, And because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in the heart of man. So he has this advantage. He knows what's in the uh, the heart. He knows what's going on if they're putting on a facade or a a good face and everything. He knew their hearts. It may take us a while to get to that through conversations, through connections that we have, you know, through through listening to the things that they say and, and maybe through serving them. But God will bring that out. It will come out. And so, and when that, we need, to, we need to know the truth when that comes out. Um, Christ knew the heart of Nicodemus. He knew that Nicodemus didn't need another religious exercise. Nicodemus' problem wasn't that he needed to start going to church. His problem wasn't that he needed to be, have a greater commitment to God. He needed to be spiritually reborn. That was the truth in his heart. He needed to be spiritually reborn because he was spiritually dead. It doesn't matter how religious he was. It doesn't matter how much he read the Bible. It didn't matter how much he gave to the church, how much he served in the church, how often he went when the doors were open. This man was spiritually dead. And sometimes we forget that. You know, we forget that, that that's the point. It's not to get somebody to church. You know, it's not to to get people to start serving and get things done for God. The point is for a spiritual rebirth, and no one can become a Christian until they are spiritually reborn. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 in Ephesians 2, 1, it says this, When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, Ephesians go on and says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sin. You know, there is no degrees of unsavedness. You know, you are either dead or you are alive. You are either on that that, that path to come to Christ or you are a Christian. You know, you don't ease into it. You know, it's light and darkness here. And Nicodemus, for all of his, you know, external things, and I'm guessing that, you know, by Pharisee standard, he was probably a good Pharisee. I mean, when I say good Pharisee, that he, he probably got along with people. He seemed like a very, very nice guy. Obviously, he was very open 
Um, we're not going to look at it, but uh, he has interactions um, at the end of Christ's life, during the crucifixion, and during the trial and all of those sorts of things, and, and during the, his you know, co-Pharisees trying to, to get after Christ. He, has, you know, he's, he begins to stand up for Christ. So he seems like a very you know, nice guy, but on the outside, it didn't matter. Because what matters, we need to know the truth. It matters what's on the inside. When true salvation occurs, it is a total rebirth. That's what he said down in verse 6 and 7. He said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which, which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you that you must be born again. Don't be amazed. And we need to be careful when we're talking to a religious person because you know, we, we say things as Christians and we say I'm meaning one thing and a lot of times religious people hear them meaning something else. You know, you say, you need to believe in Jesus. And they say, well, I do. I do believe in Jesus. And you say, well, you need, you know, do you believe in God? Yes, I, I believe in God. Well, we're meaning one thing and, and they're hearing a whole different thing. You know, they're, they're meaning, well, yeah, I go to church and I've adopted the lifestyle and I've adopted the beliefs. And when we're saying, do you believe in Jesus, we're, we're talking about being reborn. Something that happens within us. And Christ's answer to Nicodemus was not to, to add Jesus to your, your, your present belief system that you have. He pointed to Nicodemus' need to have a total rebirth. To abandon everything that, that he had been holding on to his religion and his efforts to come to God and to be accepted by God, to literally die to self and to be reborn into Jesus Christ. I mean, set aside anything that we might bring to the table and just, just like you had little or nothing to do with your physical birth, folks, we were along for the ride when you were born. You know, it was, you know, it was your mother, your father, they were, they, were, they were engaged in the process, but you were along for the ride. And in that same way, in our spiritual rebirth, it's about what Jesus Christ has done with, for us. That's what makes the difference in our heart. It's what Jesus has done. And so we need to know that truth and, and not confuse people with talking religiously to them. And, and, and again, Christ just penetrated everything in Pharisees' life you know, he didn't talk to them about religion, didn't talk to them about, you know, their beliefs and, oh, you're, they're a little bit off. He said, you've got to be born again. This is something that happens inwardly. Salvation is not a matter of just choosing a different lifestyle. Like someone might say, well, I'm going to become a vegan. And that means I do what vegans do and I eat what vegans eat and all those sorts of things. You know, it's not about just having different standards. It's not even about adopting a biblical point of view. All these things... They're meant to be byproducts of being a Christian. They are, they, are, they are meaningless if they are not accompanied by a spiritual rebirth. Remember what it said in Isaiah 64, verse 6? It says, For all of us have become like ones who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like filthy garments. All of us, whether like a leaf and our iniquities, like the wind, they take us away. It doesn't matter what we bring to the table. Christianity is about what God has brought to the table. Atonement for our sin through his son, Jesus Christ. Salvation is an act of God that occurs in the heart of man. When he or she, when they open up their heart to their need to be forgiven. 
And that Christ's death on the cross is the only payment for that sin that we have. And salvation becomes ours when we abandon our own efforts. That's what he was saying to Nicodemus. Abandon efforts. He wasn't trying to tack Jesus on or, or tack something else onto his belief system. He was saying you be, have to be totally reborn. And that's what salvation is. It is a, a total rebirth. Then and only then you know, does all the other things, you know, a biblical point of view and, and all these other things, you know, come into factor and, and matter. And Christ, Christ blew all, you know, right through this man's moral morality, his religious walls, and he said, you, you've got to be born again. And, and we need to know that truth. And we need to focus on that truth because we need to accept that, you know, people who are religious, they are not fulfilled. There is a void that has been created in each of our hearts that only God can fill through his son, Jesus Christ. We try to cram all sorts of other things there, but they come to the end of vanity and emptiness. And sometimes we don't realize this. And Christ, again, he knew the heart of man. He'd come to the end. You know, he was beginning to question. And so he saw his, his need for help. Okay, third lesson. I'm going to end here very, very quickly here. Uh, this, this lesson I'm going to talk about here, this isn't directly from the text. Um, you know, just something as I was kind of looking at this, praying about this, that, that God brought to my mind. Um, each of you probably have your own experience with religion without a relationship. At some time in your life, you probably had that experience of, of being religious and but realizing you really didn't have a relationship. Matter of fact, you know, almost everyone here has shared with me your testimony of how you came to Christ and you became a Christian. And the, the neat thing about it is you guys would be amazed at the, the common link that many of you guys share in your salvation experience. I don't know how many people have told me, you know, some variety of, of this testimony that they received Christ maybe as a child or maybe in their teen years. Maybe they were at Bible school or through VBS or Sunday school or, or their parents told them about Christ and, and they, you know, they, they prayed and they accepted Christ. But then they talk about a time in their life where they, they drifted away from Christ. You know, maybe they drifted away totally from the church. Maybe they were still in the church, but it wasn't meaning anything to them. But then at some point in your life, you began to feel an emptiness. That void began to show up and began, began to question the genuineness of your salvation or the decision you make. You know, you, you feel like you're just going through the motions. You know, you're, maybe you're going to church, you're still serving, but it, it, just, it just doesn't feel right. And then at that time, you come face to face with God. And you understand and you give your heart to Christ and, 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 and your life has changed, you know. I often think, and I'm not positive here, but I often think that that second moment is when real salvation takes place in a person's life. And, and I, I just share all that to say that you understand probably what it means to be going through the religious motions, to be taking, you know, church, going to church, uh, you know, knowing you're supposed to go to church and, and not really meaning anything to you, you know, deep down within your heart. So we have that commonness of experience. Or, or if you've not had that, you know, as a Christian... You know, you've ha probably had those times that you've had your ups and downs in your spiritual walk with Christ. That, you know, maybe 
in your service that you've been doing. You know, I've been teaching Sunday school for 15 years, and you find that, boy, I'm teaching these kids, I'm just kind of going through the motions, going through the responsibility. You know, you've all, you all understand that. That gives you a point of connection to talk to a religious person about being born again. That gives you that common experience to open up a conversation with them. You understand what it means to go through the motions spiritually. You understand the futility of the human effort. You understand praying prayers and just thinking it's just a ritual. These things are empty. They're not going anywhere. You understand, you know, serving, and we say all the right things, serving God, but it feels more like a responsibility, a job to you. You know, it's not flowing out of spiritual, reborn heart. So it's that commonness of experience I want to encourage us as we're trying to create that God space around us and connect with people that the religious people in our life, you know, understand that God's going to bring them, pray for them. God is going to bring them ultimately to that place of an emptiness. If they're not Christians, if they haven't yet accepted the Lord, that God is going to bring that unrest. And at that moment, your testimony, living before them, being able to connect with that you were there at one point and what God did in your life, you know, God's going to use to help to show them that they must be born again. So I, I want to leave a challenge with you, and we're going we're gonna to close with this. Right now, um, today and throughout this week and consistently, I, I want you to identify those people in your life that you feel that God has connected you with that are religious, but you're not sure they're saved. And I want you to begin to pray for them. I want you to, if you can, identify at least three people to consistently pray for. Just begin praying that God, if they don't know Christ as their Savior, you know, again, this isn't a judgmental thing that, oh, you're not a Christian. I mean, it's better for someone to know they're not saved if they're not. So just pray for them that, God, if, if they aren't genuinely saved, open up their heart to an emptiness. Pray that God would use you and your testimony before them to cause them to, as Jesus had, to have a religious man come to him, you know, and, and hungering and needing because he saw something different in Christ. Pray for your testimony. And then pray <laughs> that when that time comes that you can be open and you can be honest with them that what we must do, not talk about religion, not talk about responsibilities, but talk about the need to be born again. So, Father, as we make you know, this commitment in our heart. Lord, I ask you to, to do a work, Father, that only you can do. You know, it's very easy for us to you know, just accept people who are really religious. Of they, they, they're hearing the Bible and they're going to church and somehow accept that that is enough. God, we know that that's not. And so we give our hearts to you. We give our prayers to you, asking you to use us to be your hands and feet. And right now, I know God is putting on our hearts specific people. Father, I covenant with you to begin to pray consistently for these people that they might come to know you. They might come to know their need. Thank you in thy son's name.